Welcome to Don't Eat Your Young, a podcast where we will hear stories from nurses just like you that will validate, educate, and inspire you. I'm your host, Beth Quas. Today we have Kelly Anas on the show. She's been a nurse for 12 years, six years in the ICU, but despite that experience, she was not prepared for what would happen in March of 2020. The pandemic hit and completely transformed her unit. The stress of the unknown and exhaustion of the added responsibilities are taking their toll on Kelly and her colleagues, but they continue to show up to care for our loved ones. She will tell her story starting from the beginning of the COVID crisis to her current reality at work. A very important topic told by a nurse that has seen so much and wants to share the real world work of our nursing heroes. Please welcome Kelly Anas. Hello, Kelly. How are you? Hi, I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm great. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. All right. Well, I um, have been a nurse at Abbott Northwestern Hospital in Minneapolis, Minnesota for just over 12 years now. Um, I started there, got hired out of their um, nursing student intern program and then started on one of the med surge floors there and worked med surge for just shy of six years and then moved on to their medical surgical ICU and it was medical surgical neuro ICU at the time and then the neuro unit split up and became its own intensive care unit um, about a year ago. Um, So now I specialize in just intensive care nursing um, but we still remain certified in neuro so that we can take any overflow patients. That is quite a journey going right into ICU. Yeah so the jump to ICU it was not like I had expected. You know, I had a good amount of nurse, like a half a decade of nursing under my belt at that point. And I was feeling myself um, getting kind of complacent in the med surge world. Just nothing really felt new to me anymore. Um, the challenges that I'd had were challenges that had come up before. And I was just kind of looking for s- something new to kind of... Um, put me out of my comfort zone a little bit and um, turned out intensive care was it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And I think I was so grateful for, I remain so grateful for the time um, that I spent as a med surge nurse. And I would tell anybody who's interested in intensive care nursing to get that base experience on a floor first, just because it's, I mean, it, time management, just learning how to talk to a sick patient and their family members or loved ones. Because when you get to the ICU, and this is what I discovered really quickly, is that nobody plans on being in ICU. I The med surge floor I worked on was majority surgical patients. And a majority of those patients had set a surgery date and knew they'd be in the hospital for a certain number of days and had generally an idea of what to expect for their hospital stay and what would be expected of them to get better and get well enough to discharge. Um, Oftentimes they were waiting on scary diagnoses, cancer diagnoses, and things like that. But in the ICU world, very rarely did somebody show up in my care who had planned on that at the start of their day and no one's ever coming to you at their as their best selves whether it's the patient showing up or their loved ones coming in frantically a few hours later I always 
I was always so alarmed at how hostile everything seemed, just like everybody kind of came in frantic and almost aggressive seeming. And it took me a while to realize that this was not how their day had, was supposed to go and what they had planned on. And when you show up and you see a person you love connected to all these machines and tubes, whether they're awake and still able to have a conversation or unresponsive or sedated because of medications we're giving them, it's, it's a lot. And it's nobody's them best, their best selves in that ICU bed or coming in. I think that is so important for people thinking about going into ICU to understand right away because you're right that isn't a plan and it is so hard for those patients and families and I'm sure as a nurse that's just another dynamic that you have to deal with yeah absolutely and that's something that I feel comes with a little bit of of practice as far as just talking and being like all right, if I were a medical world novice walking into this room, what would be the things I would want to know about? Like, are those numbers on the screen important to me? Or am I going to let the medical staff worry about that? Um, Is it all these pumps with lines hooked up to my loved one? And so I kind of would go with, I'm going to I'm going to give you the information. I'm going to tell you exactly what we're doing and why and what we know and what we still don't know and what we're doing about both of those things. Um, And sometimes I might hit people with a little bit too much information, but I just always feel like when it comes to that stuff, knowledge is power. And when they're having to answer questions of other loved ones later, like, what's going on? What are they doing? What about this and that? They can pass some of that along and feel feel like even if we don't know exactly what's wrong with the patient, we're, we're well on our way to figuring it out and trying to get them better. And I think that builds trust too with your patients and their families. If you can share what you know, and they know you're being transparent and that you don't know everything, that has to be very helpful, comforting. Exactly, exactly. And I've found, especially in this COVID world with um, visitors not being allowed into the hospitals, the more information we can give them and being like, all right, these are the good things happening. And this is why we're excited about that. And these are the things that we're still worried about. And this is what we're doing to try and improve it helps a lot. um, As far as, because right now they can't, people aren't able to see what we're doing for them. Yeah. The COVID is a whole new beast. Talk to us a little bit about what you've gone through and the struggles and what you've learned. I was working the night, it was like the second or third week in March of 2020 when the World Health Organization announced that the COVID-19 had become a pandemic, like a global pandemic. And I think that was the night Tom Hanks and his wife or Rita Wilson got diagnosed down in Australia. And then um, they essentially evacuated that NBA game because a, a number of players have been diagnosed. And I just, I didn't really have, I mean, none of us had experienced anything like this before. So we didn't really know what was coming for us. But then two days later, I came back into work and my unit was transformed. We became the COVID-19 ICU storage closets were being converted into like these giant HEPA filter filtration systems units like our um, unit is set up into these uh, clusters we call them and it's 
five clusters of six rooms apiece, and each of them were getting shut down to maintain a negative air pressure. We were being given N95s and told that we had to make them last as long as possible, and that this face shield that we wore would protect the N95 that was protecting us. And it was ways that we had used PPE that we had never, ever been told to use them before. Um, and then there was just not knowing what to expect. I mean, we were seeing, hearing whisperings about what was going on in Wuhan and then New York and Seattle and all the like really big hotspots in Italy, but we didn't know what was coming for us and, and when. That had to be scary and stressful. And in your unit or with the people you are working so closely with, did you find that there was more anxiety and bullying among people or was it really coming together as a team? I would say generally we came together as a team pretty well. Um, there's the bullying. I don't, I guess bullying wouldn't be the right words, but there's the people who are always going to take the rules like more seriously than others and their approach to, Hey, I just noticed you may have contaminated your mask. Wasn't maybe always the, the most effective means of communication, but generally I just kind of feel like, I mean, there was the anxiety about, oh my gosh, do I have this mask on right? Do Am I doing this? Like, okay, now I have to go into this patient's room and, oh, we're going to be intubating. And, oh, they only want two nurses, a respiratory therapist and a doctor in the room for an intubation where normally we would have more people than we needed in the room. And I feel like generally we came together pretty strongly as a team. And I'm glad for that. We've always had a lot of good teamwork on my unit, um, which I feel like just kind of fosters everybody's like comfort level and learning and really just like an ideal situation for patient care that people feel comfortable with speaking up. Do you feel like your unit was supported by the administration or was it so early that it was too hard for people to even know what you needed? You know, I think at first the nurses and management kind of both went on like the cautionary side where like we were very supported. We had kind of extra staff, like resource nurses who are just around without a patient assignment to kind of help with um, the intense labor that goes into caring for these really sick COVID-19 patients. Um, and we had a person who sat out each one of our, outside each one of our clusters to make sure that people's PPE was being donned and doffed appropriately and that everybody walking into that area knew the deal and knew what was expected of them to keep themselves safe. That when we didn't hit the surge like New York and New Jersey and other parts of the country did in the spring, um, because in general, the Midwest did pretty well with um, mitigating and social distancing and all that stuff. Um, as things kind of tapered off over the summer for us, we got less and less support. They got rid of the resource nurses in the um, clusters. So we were all just helping each other. Then they got rid of the Don Doff people. We playfully called them the Dofficers because um, <laughs> they I were like, like the bouncers of the isolation yeah. area. <laughs> yeah. um, and so they got rid of that. And um, then we became everything in those areas. We, If you wanted the floor mapped, you had a housekeeper hand you a map and you did it yourself. We took out our own garbage. We took out our own laundry. We stocked our own supplies. And certainly some of that stuff we would do, but it wasn't 
part of our everyday workflow. And now we were everything for those patients. We were setting up the um, video calls with families. And then to a certain degree, that still happens. But the hospital finally got to a point, I think they told us it was to limit the use of PPE, that the fewer people who were in these isolation areas, the less PPE they were burning through. But as they were able to kind of secure more PPE, they started sending in the nursing assistants, the housekeepers, um, the specialty care staff that sets up our hemodynamic lines. We, I mean, we were doing literally everything and it was exhausting. I, I can't imagine, you know, you were, like you mentioned, you're already caring for these really sick patients. Some patients we haven't even seen that sick before. Mm-hmm. Then you're adding all of these other duties. You didn't grow more arms. You didn't grow more minutes in the day. What kind of toll did that take on you? Any nurse will tell you, like, when you're having a busy day, the first thing that goes is your breaks, right? You're, sk- you're skipping lunch so that you can chart and leave on time or leave less late. Um, you're skipping your bathroom breaks. You know, we we're used to being able to like take a water bottle into our workspace with us and like sip water throughout the day. You couldn't do that without breaching the seal of your respirator mask. So we had to, you know, just going through the process of like donning and doffing to take a few sips of water wasn't worth it. So we weren't drinking water, (laughs) like all these like basic things that, you know, we would like want our patients to do to take care of themselves weren't weren't happening for us. Um, that I think is where like the biggest toll, not to mention not being able to have family in and every single patient being so sick that they weren't able, you know, they're on ventilators, they're not able to talk to their family. Um, you were doing so much communicating where normally you'd be like, oh yeah, you know, like here's their labs. They're having a pretty good day. If you want to talk to them, I'll put them on the phone and you'd like hand off the phone and they could like hear their loved one and kind of get reassured that things were going okay, but that was not possible. And so, I mean, you're sitting down and having these really long conversations and almost kind of having to defend your work because family can't see how hard we are trying and how hard we are fighting against the virus that is just vanquishing these people. Um, And that, that gets hard too, because they're grateful certainly for um, the work we're doing, but also they want to make sure we're doing it. (laughs) Right. They can't see what they can't see. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So fast forward all of these months, how do you think it's going now? Um, Not that you can get used to this, but how do you think it's going now based on, Um, how it started? You know, I think we're doing some things much better. um, Because I mean, at the beginning, there was so many like trials going on for treatments of these patients, convalescent plasma, the um, osiluzumab, I believe is how you say it, um, hydrochloroquine, like those are all gone. We still do remdesivir and then the decadron started. And like anecdotally, a lot of us are talking like, it, it seems like we with some of these treatments, we're seeing people improve faster. They're still getting just as sick, but their like length of them being like very critically ill seems to be shorter. We are better about advocating for breaks and just 
going out and chugging a liter of water and then coming back in. Um, I will say based on what I'm hearing from other hospitals, Abbott is doing things better than a lot of places. We still generally have one to one or one to two um, patient care assignments where a lot of the hospitals across the state are moving to three to one assignments for the nurses with um, support staff of other nurses, usually like Kelly or ortho kind of the surgical units that aren't those nurses don't have patients right now because the surgeries aren't being done um, support from them. Cause there's a lot of things about my job that any nurse with med surge experience can do. And then there are some very specific parts about my job that take an ICU nurse um, to perform. Do you feel like you're getting the staff you need? Because of course, again, there's only so many nurses out there. And are you seeing, are you able to mobilize from within your own hospital? Or are you having to hire from outside? It's been an interesting mixture. Like in the spring, they had this model where the OR and pre and post-op staff, the CRNAs were all going to get, they all got trained into being assistants to the ICU staff, PACU nurses that had previous ICU experience got retrained into bedside care. The CRNAs were going to be functioning both as bedside nurses and and or respiratory therapists to help support the RTs because they are spread thinner than anybody else with, um, I mean, this primarily respiratory illness going on. Um, And then that changed when we didn't hit that big surge like we thought we might. And now they've ramped up travelers we're working with a good deal of nurses who i mean have honestly been working in covid surge areas this entire for the last nine months i don't know how they're still upright to be after the stories i've heard and then they've gone towards hiring um primarily new grad nurses as icu rn techs so they're licensed rns um but they're getting trained to do to kind of the ICU atmosphere, but not necessarily like critical care, ACLS type skills. So um, that they can be of an assistance to us in proning patients, repositioning baths, um, administering meds on the feeding tube, but they wouldn't be in charge of any like ventilator adjustments, titrating drips, any sort of decisions that we would make based on our training there. They haven't started yet. So um, we are all kind of anticipating that when we do when they do start that's when we'll go to more me as the ICU nurse taking on two to three patients with the assistance of an ICU RN tech um but right now we piecemeal our staffing together shift by shift where they are relying very heavily on overtime right I think that's kind of the story everywhere yeah well it it's kind of a win-win for um those new grads coming in yeah being able to do that without this of course, it's stressful because they're new, but without the stress of taking on what you're doing as a seasoned RN, mm-hmm. they can learn the ropes of being in an ICU because there is so much different about being in the ICU as yes. an RN yes. as anywhere else that if those people want to do that in the future, what a great opportunity for them. Right, right. I think, um, yeah, just being comfortable dealing with all the stuff, the monitors, the lines, the cords, the ventilator tubing, all that. Um, or it might be a 
signal to people that ICU is not for them, which is still a valuable experience in and of itself because it's not not meant for everyone, certainly. And the orientation that goes into training an ICU nurse is not small and no. and it's costly. So mm-hmm. to learn that up front, um, what kind of orientation did you get coming into the ICU? Um, mine was, I think it was three months long. Um, and it started out primarily with classes because I didn't have um, any telemetry training other than like the basics that I'd gotten in nursing school. Um, I took a telemetry class, kind of learned on um, the basics of identifying and managing rhythms. And then they kind of like slowly started putting us on the unit with um, a preceptor. And I think it ended up being about, oh, I want to say like 20 five shifts um with a preceptor and then classes based on different body part or like body systems um and the pathophysiology of those systems that we would be seeing in 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 the ICU um and then a lot of the classes we took were online at home we did those um to just kind of get trained in and then we would have our CNSs and nurse educators and stuff lead us through classes in person. This was, of course, six years ago when it was safe to all be in person. So I know the new, the new grad or the new ICU hires coming in. They're not, um, not new grads currently, but um, they, uh, there's, their experience has been a lot different because they've had to try and keep the class lessons small and they're doing a lot more learning from home than we, than the rest of us did. What do you think about the future of nursing after this pandemic? Will be will we have more people rushing to come in to be nurses, or do you see people leaving nursing? Well, I definitely see people leaving, um, and I hope that there are people rushing in behind them. Um, I worry about the mental health of so much of, I mean, all the nurses, even if your unit has not been transformed like you're still showing up and wearing a mask all day and having patients wear masks all day and everybody's job is different inside the hospital whether they're dealing directly with the COVID population or not and I worry so much about about what this is going to do I think so many of us have felt very supported by friends and family and the public and then at the same time to have people tell you that they don't believe what's happening to you is the truth. Um, that's disheartening. And a lot of times that drowns out more than anything else, the, the good things you're hearing um, from, from the rest of the world. So I, I don't know. I think back even just this weekend when I worked, um, I mean, it's nurses, doctors, just crying in rooms and I mean not to say that that didn't happen before all this started but it wasn't every day and now it is the saddest day every day you show up and even patients that like I thought were gonna do really well you know I come in a couple days later and they got re-intubated or they're back paralyzed and prone and you're like I thought we had a win there I really did yeah there's just no end to it. Even yeah. when you walk out of the hospital, 
That's, mm-hmm. It's so encompassing. Everywhere you go, you turn on the TV, the radio, people walking down the street. It's It really takes a toll on people. What advice or tips can you give nurses right now just struggling or to get through this? And what would you like to say to people? I would say find someone to talk to. You know, I was having a conversation with my husband about this and he had was talking about an experience he had in high school where like some veterans came to talk. I think it was assumed for like a veterans day thing. And um, this Vietnam vet had said, you know, like the world war two vets, they finished their service and they spent two weeks on a boat being able to decompress. And then they got home and they've had that time to kind of talk to people who could truly relate and truly understood what they'd been through. And then the Vietnam vets got thrown on a plane and 18 hours later were back to work or back in a classroom and were supposed to pretend like what had happened hadn't and didn't really have that time to decompress and vent and deal with any of that. And so I would say finding a way to talk about it as it's happening or shortly after it's happened, be that with a therapist or support group. My hospital starting next week is going to have online um, Zoom meetings where we can log in if we want to and just like see our coworkers full faces (laughs) safely at home and just talk about what's happening and what's making us mad and sad and the occasional win we get. And so I would say that for sure. And, you know, like everybody's going to tell you like, oh, self-care, find something that's going to, but like, find something outside completely unrelated to all of this. Because sometimes I feel like COVID's everywhere. And then sometimes I feel like the only people who are really dealing with it are inside the walls of the hospital. And the rest of the world is just kind of getting to go along their, their business with minor inconveniences and that's it and that's a lot to to deal with too i so appreciate you sharing your story because i i think people need to hear what's going on mm-hmm. in in your units and in the hospital and where people are really seeing this happen and even other nurses or healthcare providers that don't work in those areas yeah can't even truly understand it yeah, it it is it is totally beyond, like you said, what we've ever dealt with in the past. Mm-hmm. And so this is new. I think it is going to be a good learning experience. But you're right. I see a lot of um, PTSD coming out of this for the people that have stuck it out in the hospitals. And you know, we all didn't get the chance to work from home. Yeah, and yeah, pick when we went out. We still trudged in every day, and. Um, mm-hmm nursing and all healthcare workers, everyone that walks through those doors for a job needs to be commended for what they've done in this year. Absolutely. Absolutely. I just, I'm so grateful for the people that I've been in the trenches with, so to speak. Um, Cause it's, it's a wonderful group of people. And I think like sometimes it feels like all we have is each other because I can come home to my kids and my husband. they are completely sympathetic to my situation, but they can't really get it. And it, right. it helps to be with people who get it. 
I so appreciate you coming on and telling your story today. And I hope to have you back on again sometime when you can tell me things are so much better and you've seen all these process improvements happen because of this. And I don't think this is the last we've heard from you either. Oh, thank you. I would love to have an an opportunity to come back and yeah, talk about what, how nursing has made this better and how this has made nursing better because my practice is so much stronger than it was at this time last year. I had no idea how this would transform me for better and sometimes for worse as a person. But yeah, this is, it was great to be, to be on and be able to talk about it. Thank you, Kelly, so much for being on and I hope you stay safe out there. Same to you. Thank you. A million thank yous to Kelly Anas for being willing to share her experiences as an ICU nurse during a pandemic. Nurses and other healthcare workers need our support and love at this time. The effects of the past year will be felt for a long time. Seek out help if you need it and offer help to others that you think might be struggling. Thank you so much for spending your time listening today. I hope this show offers you hope, ideas for change, and encouragement. Until next time, stay safe out there. You will find the key